You're listening to Spartan Up Podcast. We're going to interview somebody every week from all over the world and see what they did in their life to become successful, no matter how they defined it. Welcome back to the Spartan Up Podcast. Here we got Sephra, myself, David, Johnny Wake, and Joe. Sergio. Sergio. And the unforgettable Marion. So, Sir Joe, just got knighted. The guys from More Hearts Than Scars. Just got knighted. Dangerous yeah. ceremony, but I came out the other side a sir, and I, I'm super excited about that and honored. Um, this awesome. guy's amazing. Yeah, Josh Mance. Yeah, amazing. Works at Tesla. Told me uh, at Tesla they work around the clock, 24 hours a day. I asked, why is that? Stay tuned for the answer. We are here in San Francisco for Spartan Up Podcast with Josh Montz. Do I have that name right? You got it. You got it. And uh, you were in the military. You were an infantry... Infantry officer for about 10 years. 10 years. How'd that go? (laughs) Uh, Probably wouldn't wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, Huge learning experience uh, start to finish, but probably the most profound time was during the deployment uh, when I was was pretty severely wounded by a, a, a sniper bullet. No um, and, and kind of went through that experience. And what, what, year, what year was that? So it was back in 2007 during the surge to Baghdad. Got it. And uh, so tell us about it. <laughs> well, it was uh, we were on a, a dismounted patrol uh, through East Baghdad, and we basically detained uh, a driver and were questioning him uh, when a, a Hezbollah team came through and shot us with a, a sniper rifle. Uh, they actually converted a, a Dishka, which is normally an anti-aircraft weapon, wow. uh, in, into a sniper rifle. The bullet ripped through the left arm of one of my senior non-commissioned officers, severed his aorta, and then ricocheted into my upper right thigh and severed my femoral artery. And you were, guys were in your vehicle? When, when no, no, we were actually dismounted outside of the vehicle when it occurred. Got it. And, and the sniper was up on a, on a rooftop? Or? Correct, correct. He was, he was based a little bit away. So, uh, you know, in a split second, you had two... Uh, two people on the ground who had about two minutes to live apiece. Um, wow! And how many how many guys on your side did you have with you? Well, we we had about we had about fifteen folks with us. Right. Uh, but you know, most critical to that situation at the time was the the medic that we had on, on site. He was only nineteen years old and realized he had two catastrophic injuries to deal with at the same time. So it was just amazing for me. You know, as I. Uh, continue that medical evacuation process, you know, th- throughout this thing. Just, just seeing how my team, how a medic reacted, it was, you know, I was totally conscious through this whole experience. Uh, but that was the day where I learned what it meant to be part of a, a true team, you know, that was well trained and, 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 and well led. Yeah, I mean, they they just went right to work. It was it was just inspiring to me to see them work, not miss a step, even in the middle of this crisis. It was and, and and you think that happened because you do so much training, it just becomes innate. Well, I, absolutely. It was part of it. You know, a great example is, is, you know, when I was in the vehicle riding to the, the medical aid station, you know, I was just trying to hold on and stay conscious, do, do everything I could. You know, I had already lost the majority of my, my blood uh, in, in, the, in the body. And, uh, you know, I, I had a big wad of Copenhagen in my mouth when I got shot, which poses a choking hazard. But obviously I wasn't thinking about it. Um, and suddenly, I, I, I feel this as the, as the medic. You know, I feel him cinching up the tourniquet and, and doing his work. And then suddenly, he, I feel a finger come into my mouth and sweep the Copenhagen away, throw it out, and just keep going. And for that second, I just stopped thinking about dying. And all I could think about was, wow, you know, here's a kid in the middle of a catastrophe, and he still remembered to do his secondary checks. Right. You know, and it was just just a moment that just put my mind at complete ease, knowing that I was in great hands. That's Couldn't have been prouder of him. Have you seen him? 
Yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen him since then. We've kind of sporadically kept in touch, but he's, he's doing great. Uh, you know, d- despite, uh, you know, we, we did lose uh, Staff Sergeant Marlon Harper that day, and unfortunately his, his injury is just, uh, you know, severed at aura. He, he didn't last very long. Um, but his uh, the efforts of that medic and the entire team that day were, were incredible. Amazing. So th- this, this podcast is about um, finding motivation, getting ahead in life, whether you're a monk or a mom or a business sure. person. What is it that... Dr- what are the attributes that we could all learn uh, that we could apply to become more successful? And so from that experience, what you just described, what comes out of that? One is, I guess, there's nothing nothing negative you could say about training. Training is, is everything, sure, right? Sure, absolutely. Um, what else would you take from, from that, that? You know, there, there's... Um there's, there's so many components to this, but I almost have to reduce it down to the power of community and the power of human connection. You know, I, I was, um, after I got to that aid station, I actually went on to Flatline for 15 minutes straight wow. uh, before that, that medical team was able to bring me back. And the medical standard is typically six minutes. So if, if, if you're a complete flatline, completely coded, typically doctors and surgeons will call it on a patient after six minutes because that's the point when serious brain damage sets in. So, so, so you're flatline, let's say, for six minutes. The people around you are assuming he's dead. Right. Right. And normally, and you, normally you walk away. Normally, that you're right because even if you bring the person back, they would expect catastrophic brain damage at, right. at that point. So to go for somebody on fit for 15 minutes straight, you know, defying all odds. Um, I, you know, I, I redeployed to Baghdad about five and a, about five months after this uh, injury occurred to finish the tour, and that medical team was still there. And uh, one of the best days of my life was being able to thank them for bringing me back. And I, I, the first question I asked is, "Why did you work on a dead guy for 15 minutes?" And he just looked at me and said three words: "We never quit." You know, he, no. he said, "You were you were you were healthy when you got here. You were alive when you got here, and we were not going to lose you." You know, but it's it's, it's unbelievable, it's, right? It's just uh, you know, probably a lot of people watching this podcast. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of military backgrounds, and and especially from the combat arms, and th- there tends to be a bit of a culture in the military where combat arms guys have a bit of a chip on their shoulder. Uh, you know, the I mean, the infantrymen know what combat's all about, and everybody else is just in support. And I I never really subscribed to that mentality myself, but I never disproved it more than that day. Right, because I, I saw this medical team perform the most well-executed battle drill that I've ever seen in my life. The support team. Exactly. And then you have the echelons of support that go trace back all the way to the hospital and the outcry of support from the community and, and every organization involved. So sometimes, sometimes we think we're successful in life because of ourselves, but in reality it's usually the people around us that are all 100%. chipping in a little bit, right? 100%. In your, in your case, it's, yeah. you wouldn't be here today. Yeah, it has, has nothing to do with me. I mean, obviously it helped that I was in good physical condition going into this, and, and that's, that helped you know, empower people to save me. Sure. But I would not be here today if it wasn't for the efforts of everybody else that day. Why don't we um, Why don't we do some push-ups? Take a little break, <laughs> right? Let's do it. And then we'll come back. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> All right. I hope you're not sitting still while you listen. If you are, you better get a burpee break in. One hundred and seventy-three push-ups. You crushed me. That was unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know about that. We'll see. <laughs> so, so um, what is this work you're doing in behavioral health? So. Uh, I was really put in a position to, you know, fortunately be able to leverage that story and that experience to uh, drive some change in, in terms of people who've endured traumatic experiences throughout their lives, right, and, and help them recover and heal from that. Um, 
I've, I've found over, over the years, you know, there, there's, there tends to be a pretty big stigma surrounding the behavioral health field, and people think it's a sign of weakness to, to seek help. Um, and certainly that's a, that's a component of it and always will be. But I've, I've found even more that uh, a lot of the times the, these traumatic experiences spark injuries that are so deep and, and so profound that people don't know how to put them into words, right? And I'm specifically talking more on the moral injuries of it, like the shame, powerlessness, betrayal, and guilt that people experience. So over the last couple of years, we've been working with, with communities across the United States uh, to, to really uh, integrate the resources that already exist and, and help people come together using the power of community and human connection to, to help so, facilitate. So, so give me process. an example of, of, of somebody that's gone through something that has that mental scarring. Sure. Um, so, you know, for example, I, I know of one uh, Marine medic uh, that, that's a friend of mine. Uh, who tried to seek treatment in the behavioral health field for years after his experiences in combat. Um, who would he see, a psychologist? or uh, Typically, you know, you, there, there's, there's multiple avenues to approach the behavioral health field. Some of them are effective, some of them are not. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's, it's critical to understand that, that like, the first time somebody seeks help is often the most high-risk time for that individual because, you know, it, it's a very vulnerable position to be in when you, when you first ask for help. Because I don't really, people don't, Naturally, want to ask right. for help, right? Right. They're disclosing their their, their, weakness, their darkest vulner, secrets, their, their biggest vulnerabilities. Yeah. Um, and what we did is we put this uh, this gentleman and his spouse through a, a week long retreat in the mountains of Angel Fire, New Mexico. Love it. Um, and within a couple of days, he disclosed to the entire group for the very very first time. And we had Vietnam vets, World War II vets, uh, every combat generation represented from World War II forward. Um, you know, you had this. This very big, rough and tough marine medic, right? Who people made the assumption that, you know, maybe he killed people that he didn't want to kill. Maybe he uh, saw a lot of violence and blood and guts and gore on the battlefield. And what he disclosed is pretty profound. You know, he, he was part of the initial invasion uh, in, into Baghdad, and he, certainly he did see a lot of carnage. He saw he saw a lot of injuries, people missing limbs and, and, and legs. But as a corpsman. And, and because of the pace of that, that deployment, they were, they were pushing through, and, and, and there was a lot of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of collateral damage at the time. But he found that he couldn't help everybody, right? He, he, he had the capability to help them. He had the skill set to help them. But probably the most profound thing that he ever said was he, he looked at the helpless look in these people's eyes, and they just turned around and went home, you know? And he knew that 90% of them died, you know, right. after he left. So it, it had nothing to do with the blood and the guts and the gore. It was the powerlessness that he experienced to be able to help these people. Right? Because, he, because he couldn't solve that problem. Ex- exa- exactly, exactly. So how did he come to terms with it? Well, you know, part of the, leveraging the power of group dynamics in, in, a, in a retreat in that format and, and recognizing first and foremost that that sense of powerlessness can be crippling. You know, it can lead to a huge sense of shame and, and, and guilt, and, and those are the emotions that ultimately bring you down. So uncovering that, just to begin with, verbalizing it, and, and, and recognizing who your enemy is and, and what you're facing is the first step to achieving, uh, you know, walking down the healing path. Sure. You know, so, so just the recognition of it almost gave just him get, getting it off to, your chest. Right, right? And exactly. talking to somebody about exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's what really facilitated the beginning of his healing process. So anybody out there listening that's, that's been um, straddling something that they deal with, get it out there. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Go talk to somebody, anybody. Absolutely. 
And what I've, what I've noticed, um, you, you know, a lot of people are... Um, Maybe the Catholic Church had it right with <laughs> confession. Well, you know, there, there might be... A, there, there definitely could be a component to that, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the truth is uh, all of us have the power to impact somebody's life in that way. Um, you don't need to deploy to the mil- you know, deploy to combat in order to uh, sure. be able to resonate and, and kind of dive that deep with somebody and understand or, or at least appreciate uh, the root cause of what they're experiencing. So, a- so you survived flatlining. Yep. You're, you're helping people come out of their deep, dark moments, and now you're at Tesla. Yep. <laughs> which which um, there isn't a person in the world unless they've been living under a rock doesn't know what Tesla is. They're awesome vehicles. Um, obviously, Musk is uh, pushing limits in every area of technology. What what are you guys doing there? That's cool that you could disclose. You know, it's it's um, like you said, it's 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 pretty obvious with the the latest release of the the Generation Three, the Model Three car, and the, and the response we got from the public. Um, there, there's a huge buzz around the company, and it's 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 obvious that the integration of the technology is is just absolutely mind blowing. Um, probably more importantly, though, as you, as you talk transitioning and, and redefining career fields, whether it's due to injury or disease or illness, you know, I, I can tell you hands down that I, I am hard pressed to find a more dedicated employee base at any point in my career than what I see at Tesla right now. You know, and pe- you mean ex-military they're bringing, or just in general? Just in general. Um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be military, right? right. It, it's I, I appreciate people who are who are professional and committed to the mission and purpose at hand. And, and why, so, why is that? Why is Tesla able to to draw such committed people? Because it's one of the things we talk about on the podcast is right. people that are just interested versus people that are committed. Sure, interested yeah. is when things are fun and you know, then, then then you're involved. But when you're committed, you're you're committed. Rain, snow, right. blood doesn't matter. Right. Well, why do you think Tesla's pulling those kinds of people? Mission and purpose. I mean, right. it, it all comes down to mission and purpose. Right. You know, uh, facilitating the, the world's transition to a solar electric economy is a very profound task. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a mission that uh, people want to be part of, and it's a mission that's not easy to accomplish. So I've, I've actually uh, found the, the transition even for myself. You know, as you, as you latch on to a pretty profound mission and purpose in the military over the last decade, found that it was quite an easy transition for me in, in, in terms of the having purpose in my life and, and being able to dedicate myself to a greater cause. Uh, no, that's a great point because if people are just working and they don't know what they're working towards, I guess right. you can't get as excited about it. But I guess you guys, you're right, you're doing something big. Right, exactly. And, and then you, you got to relay that to the workforce and the workforce buys into it, the ones that show up. It, right. Exactly right, yeah. and it's it, it's the it's the difference of you know employee engagement is kind of a, a big term out there the, these days, um, but it's but it's really important. You know, it's not yeah. just a soft word that doesn't mean anything. It's if, if if you find yourself in a job or in a position where you where you're not connected to the the purpose of the organization, and, and you, you can't find that for yourself. You know, certainly it, it, it could be challenging to find that in some jobs or in some roles. You know, it might be it might be more beneficial to find it at a place like Spartan Race. You know, sure. where, where um, you're offering that to people and a chance for them to latch on to something more more profound and, and greater greater than just themselves. Right? I love it. That was, so, um, and I'm glad you're alive. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> that <laughs> was awesome. Hey, thanks, Joe. Hey, thank you for your service. No, hey, no problem. No problem. <laughs> Incredible to have. Two stories in one there. I mean, the whole Tesla thing and, and, and that aspect, what's going on now. But first, I want to go back to his story about being shot as a sniper uh, over in, in combat. And that whole situation about having to trust 
a 19 year old medic to uh to pull you through that and everything involved in that unbelievable think about how much time we all spend when we go to a doctor right and and you want to find the right doctor with the right skill set that went to the right school for your earache for your earache (laughs) (laughs) this guy took a bullet he is basically dead Mm -hmm. basically dead Mm -hmm. and a 19 year old whether trained or not you don't know when you're laying there right is working on him he dies Mm -hmm. he dies dies about 15 minutes Mm -hmm. right He's, and he's fighting to stay conscious as hard as he can. But, but, but for all intents and purposes, like he's he dead, flatline, yeah, yeah. gone. And, and later, um, I asked the kid, why'd you keep working on me? You went past the threshold of when you're supposed to stop. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't, I don't give up on anybody. Yeah, powerful, powerful statement. And then to then come out of that and, uh, and like you say, find his purpose. And which is what allows you to work 24 hours a day, essentially. Yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was um, look, we build businesses, right? Spartan's a business, and, and how do you get uh, the place humming like Tesla? And he said, I got to tell you, he goes, this place, well, you guys heard it, is um, more intense than battle. And from a guy who's who essentially died on the battlefield, died on the battlefield and how? And he comes back with mission and purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah, incredible. Mission and purpose are everything, right? And and uh, what was he saying about that? That's it might, it might actually even be confusing with this another interview, but the same thing came up about the idea that you can't. Oh, I, I, I am confused with another interview where the guy said you can't just hire people on remuneration. You can't just hire them on opportunity to advance. The only way you're going to get people is to be part of a purpose and and part of a company with a mission. No, no doubt about it. And I'm sure our resident philosopher. Might have an opinion around this. What's important about purpose? Why do people need purpose? Well, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure why people <laughs> why people need purpose. Uh, this is something I've kind of struggled with the past four or five years. Is uh, why do people need a reason to do what they're doing? Uh, it might just be a human thing. It might be, I don't know. It might, it might help us in some way. Apparently it does for a lot of people. But it brings me back to what happened at the Agogi Joe when I was breaking down at hour 24 and you were telling me that the reasons I was stating for giving up and quitting were not actually things I should listen to. That made me think, which are the reasons, which are the good reasons we come up with that we should listen to and which are the good reasons that we come up with that we shouldn't listen to? Because we, th- we always think it, it, we have well, good it, reasons. It, it's not um, static, right? It depends mm-hmm. on where you are at that moment. And I looked at you. I had a fresh perspective um, that you didn't have. Mm-hmm. And you were uh, healthy. You were coherent. You weren't pissing blood. There was no reason for you to be getting out of the event. Now, your leg was just a casualty. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm but, 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 um, but your leg wasn't bothering you to that point. But... but um, you said something interesting that ties right into this podcast. You you responded to me and said, "But it's not my true north, mm-hmm. right?" Mm-hmm. So so mm-hmm. your purpose in your mind at that moment was not to finish the go. It didn't matter to you. You weren't trying to prove anything, right? Mm-hmm. And um, but I knew from my experience, Johnny would have told you the same thing that the uh, repercussions of quitting at that moment would have been much worse for you than continuing. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a good enough reason to quit. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I think yeah, that- and, and with that, in the whole idea of purpose, too, um, we can invent purpose. And I think back to 2011, um, when, I, when I finished the death race that year, and there was a girl back in my hometown um, who I knew had um, uh, survived cancer as, a, as an adolescent. And I had raised, I think it was $8,000 for a charity 
helping children dealing with cancer. And when I was about to quit, I remember thinking, you got to be kidding me. This girl for three years kept going. And, uh, and I've told everyone I'm going to do it. And so the whole idea of purpose, um, I, I, know, I know what you're saying about that, that this, that the Agoji weekend, it wasn't the most important thing in the world to you. And I totally get that. Mm-hmm. And so it's valid at that point to say, it's not the most important thing in the world to me. I'm going to stop. I actually had to borrow on um, purpose from someone else where mm-hmm. I needed to take an outside reason, make it my own reason and make it so compelling that I couldn't quit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hugely important in anything, you know, like in, in business, um, to decide what your purpose is and then create that leverage. I think mm-hmm. is, is, is well, huge. Think about, I mean, with Tesla, because I've been thinking about it a lot since he said this, obviously Tesla is extremely successful. Uh, the people that are humming along and working 24 hours a day, as he p- puts it, are, are saying, wait a minute, we, we're going to create an electric car revolution. We're, well, not, we're not just not just not, not just cars anymore. I mean, they're, they're going to power the entire world is their, is their plan. Yeah, and so, and so when you buy into that, right, and maybe... Maybe you didn't have a deep enough purpose when you entered mm-hmm. the Agogi mm-hmm. re- regarding finishing, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah, like you, absolutely. And, yeah. and uh, you got lucky. Maybe you thought yeah. of the, the woman with cancer sure. yeah. at the right moment in time. Yeah. But um, it goes back to your question you asked yourself, Dave, is purpose important? It obviously is because mm-hmm. when you hit the speed bump, <clears throat> which everybody hits, mm-hmm. you got to reach back and find something. Or yeah. Well, and, and, and sorry, go ahead, Zephyr. No, I mean, what it, what it makes me think of just listening to you guys is saying like, Purpose is one thing, but mentorship is another thing, right? Because mm-hmm. the ability to be in the situation that you're in and have people around you that can zoom up and have seen the pattern mm-hmm. and have seen people go through this and do know what the learning is, do know what what that outcome is, that's the most important part, to have the Johnnies mm-hmm. and the Joes and the people around you that are like, we know where you're at, we've seen it a lot of times before, and we know what this pattern looks like. Mm-hmm. That goes beyond purpose. And I think like mentorship, whether it's in business or whether it's when you're in the middle of the agogi is like the most important thing and, and, and a thing in our society that needs to be re-strengthened and re-embraced. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. Zamek, mm-hmm. Zamek. Totally does. And, and, and you look at it from the standpoint of a culture too. I mean, there's yeah. mentorship in terms of one-on-one. Yeah. But uh, as a culture, and you go back to Tesla, the idea that they don't hire people who haven't bought into that purpose wholeheartedly. So, you know, or you, working 24 hours a day. Do they literally work 24? Well, I, I think what he means is you never turn off. Like you go home and you're sleeping, thinking about the project. You come back the next morning, you're back on the job. Nobody can work 24 hours a day, but you can be engaged 24 hours a day for sure. And I'm sure they're working 18 hours a day. But and is the, that good? But well, yes, no. The thing is, it's not good to go to a job that you don't really care about and work hours like that. You know, if, if you're going to the job that you don't love and you're putting in that much overtime, eventually <laughs> you're going to break down. You're going to stop. But if it's truly your purpose, if you've bought into the idea that this is how I'm going to change the world, there's nothing you'd rather be doing anyway. Mm. So it's not that Tesla is a slave driving factory where they're just like whipping everyone into shape. It's that they have people so that dialed into their purpose that there's nowhere they'd rather be and nothing they'd rather be doing. Got it. And it, so maybe, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. maybe David didn't do, and we didn't do a gut check on him entering that sure. event, right? Yeah. And, and it's funny, I've, I've seen that happen with people where, where you'll say, you should do the death race. And maybe at that point in their life, it's not that they shouldn't, but there isn't a compelling reason for it. Right. Whereas, you know, when I see the people who finished, generally, and I've been asked this before about, um, is there a common thread? And, and I said, with a few exceptions, it's people who are proving something. They're bouncing back from something. Right. They're, they, this is their testing ground for themselves in their life, right? And um, I talked to uh, Jonathan Westerfeld, 
who uh, who who did not finish the Sagoji, and he said, "Ah, it was wasn't in it." Now a couple of years ago, I saw him finish a death race that he almost died, but he kept going because at that moment he needed to. Right. right. That said, uh, sometimes uh, when you have failed at something because you you didn't have enough of a reason, I'm not saying this is the case, you but, but you may very well go home and lie awake in bed a couple nights going. Why didn't I finish that? Mm-hmm. There were guys there weaker than I was that finished it. Mm-hmm. And it starts to eat at you. The next one becomes much, much easier because then you have something to prove, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but that, all that, goes back to find your purpose. Yeah, 100%. Find your purpose, lock onto it, and, and then you'll be relentless in getting it done. And I think about these podcasts and the purpose of these podcasts has been to figure out grit, to figure out success. What is it that drives people and keeps them moving? And um, we've done a... Coming up on a couple hundred now. And sometimes those races help you find your purpose. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. Because sometimes you need that clarity. You need to push yourself beyond your comfort to figure out what the heck it is you're trying to do. And my purpose purpose right now is coming back to the close that I was going to (laughs) do. So we're going to purposely go to uh, SpartanUpThePodcast.com. Just SpartanUp.com. Don't worry about the podcast. SpartanUp. (laughs) <laughs> Keep rolling. Dot com. Keep rolling. Spartan up pod. Can someone help me? <laughs> subscribe. I know you need to subscribe. Subscribe to the Spartan Up Podcast. Thanks for listening. We're on iTunes. We're on YouTube. SpartanUpPodcast.com. Thanks, Ephraim. I'll be finding my purpose and the website. Thank you for listening to another epic story of success. We hope you enjoy the episode. To find more show notes, audio, and video, please visit us at SpartanUpPodcast.com. The Spartan Up Podcast is brought to you by Spartan. To find a race near you, visit Spartan.com. Spartan.